Hi, you're listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, where we bring you the rich life histories of the incredible men and women enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. Innovators, pioneers, entrepreneurs, geniuses. These are the individuals who not only shaped blues music, but paved the path for all forms of American music that followed. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is brought to you by the Blues Foundation. For more information about the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. We continue this series with the most popular female country blues singer of all time. Memphis Minnie was one of a kind. She ran away from home at age 13 to live and work on Bill Street. Her guitar and vocal skills quickly caught the ear of not only the Bill Street regulars, but the veteran musicians took immediate notice as well. Her street performances garnered such claim, she was offered a role in the Ringling Brothers Circus, and from 1916 to 1920, Memphis Minnie's talents were on display across the nation as part of the greatest show on earth. When she returned to Bill Street, she found herself arriving in the middle of an exploding musical epicenter, and she became one of its brightest stars. She was one of the very first inductees into the Blues Hall of Fame as part of its inaugural class in 1980. This is her story. Big Bill Brunsey glanced around the crowded Union Hall. He saw every guitar picker and piano player from every tavern on the south side of Chicago except one. Looked like everybody brought a bottle. Washboard Sam sidled up to Bill and said, you know you could beat that woman playing, and anybody in here know that you the best guitar picker around. Bill just shook his head. I don't know about that, he said. Memphis Minnie can make a guitar speak. She can make it cry. She can make it moan. She can make it whistle. Maybe she won't show, Washboard Sam winked. Tampa Red jumped on stage and shouted through the mic, Y'all know the rules. Our finalists each get two songs to sway this illustrious panel of judges, including Sleepy John Estes, Sonny Boy Williamson, and myself. The crowd roared and hoisted their bottles high. Grand prize, Tampa Red yelled. One-fifth Gordon's Gin. And you know what our friends at Fortune Magazine said. This stuff only goes into martinis and Negroes. <laughs> the crowd booed, hissed, and laughed as Tampa continued. And one-fifth black gold whiskey. If you're too fancy to drink from the bottle, their cap makes a fine goblet, ladies and gentlemen. First up, Mr. William Brunsey, known to us friends as Big Pill. While Big Bill played, she started to move through the crowd, from the back of the hall toward the stage. She caught Bill's eye like a shooting star, gleaming in a river of dark suits. She wore a bracelet as big as a shield with a new silver dollar stuck in it. She carried her guitar, a chrome resonator. Her gold tooth sparkled and her eyes shined. But where the long red fingernails should have glimmered, Bill saw worn, calloused, picking fingers. He was in for a fight. Big Bill shut his eyes to look deep in song. Everyone cheered until Tampa Red called Minnie up. 
Minnie stood there in her gown and high heels, looking the whole place in the eye. She puffed out her cheek and spat a brown jet of tobacco and tore into her song. I'm a bad luck woman. I'm a bad luck woman. Can't be the reason why. Memphis Minnie didn't need a second number to beat Big Bill. The house rocked. People in the crowd bowed at her feet and reached up to squeeze her hand. Sleepy John and Sonny Boy hoisted her up on their shoulders and carried her around the hall like a champion until they came face to face with Kansas Joe, Minnie's husband. Put her down, Joe said. She can walk. Sleepy John and Sonny Boy set Minnie on the floor. Joe picked up her wrist and led her toward the exit. Minnie stopped and looked back for her prize. The bottles had disappeared. She turned back and noticed the collar of Joe's long underwear peeking out from the top of his shirt. She plucked off a piece of scarlet thread and wrapped it around her finger. I'd rather be the devil, oh, rather be the devil, be woman At dawn, they lay in bed. Joe snored with his heavy arm across Minnie. She stared at the ceiling and thought of Beale Street. Many remembered a conjure woman named Reddy Money. Back then, Many was working in a house on 3rd Street. Reddy Money had a booth around the corner in Church's Park. Black magic interested Many. She wanted to learn witchcraft, but Reddy Money refused Many's cash. Many could still hear the old conjure woman say, No, baby, women out here for themselves got to help each other. Ready Money said that the real power of conjure came not from the spell, but from the belief in the spell, the fear that it would work. The mind took care of the rest. Ready Money made sure to be seen sprinkling goofer dust around someone's house. That was when Minnie met Joe. Their bond wasn't exactly magical. He got her off 3rd Street and into music full-time, though. He didn't hate her for hustling. I'm just hitting a lick, Minnie told Joe. I'd do the same thing if I could, he said with his sly smile. They made beautiful music together, no doubt. Joe got Minnie on records, and together they got out of the South to a cold water flat in Chicago. Still, Joe was a man and Minnie was a woman. She had to play behind. If it keeps on raining, going to break. If it keeps on raining, going to break. And the water gonna come and have no place to stay. Under a man on 3rd Street or behind him on record felt about the same. Now, many didn't care if Joe lost his nature. And no magic could force him to leave Chicago. It wasn't personal. She'd come as far as Joe could get her. Memphis Minnie wanted to keep going. Lying beside Joe, she repeated Ready Money's spells in her mind. Minnie pushed Joe's arm up and wiggled down out of the bed. He slumped back on the pillow. She needed just one more thing from him, a hair long enough to intertwine with one of her own. Joe's face was clean, his head was neatly barbered, his chest bare. Minnie had no other choice. She slipped her cold nail clippers into the dark and snipped. Oh, she was evil, oh, she was evil, would not change 
A minute later, she stood in the kitchen. She plucked one hair from her head, twisted her hair and Joe's hair together like a braid. Minnie tore a piece of brown paper bag from Joe's wine bottle. With a black ink pen, she wrote Joe's name on the brown paper seven times. She took a red ink pen and wrote the spell over Joe's name seven times as she muttered the incantation, Love me or die, love me or die, love me or die. Minnie balled the brown paper around the two hairs and carried the packet over to the sink. She dribbled seven drops from a bottle of Hoyt's cologne onto the brown paper. Ready Money echoed, Keep it wet until the son of a bitch act right or go. Minnie moistened the brown paper ball with her own urine. Minnie wrapped the red thread she pulled off Joe's long johns around the wet packet. She bent down without a sound and placed it under Joe's side of the bed. He snored. Now look at hoodoo lady. I want you to treat me right. Bring my man back home, but don't let him stay all night. And don't put that thing on me. Don't put that thing on me. Don't put that thing on me. Cause I'm going back to Tennessee. Two mornings later, Minnie came home from the market. In the one-room flat, their guitars leaned against the wall, Joe's acoustic and Minnie's silver resonator. The L thundered past, blacking the gray daylight from the window and shaking the glass. She saw Joe standing beside the bed, still in his long johns. He held something red in his hand. He looked up. Devilment, he barked. He threw down the jack ball, and the brown paper splattered wet on the hardwood floor. I'll take you back to Third Street, Joe said. Get you hustling again. Work this devilment off your hands. Minnie smiled her gold-toothed grin and said, Love me or die, Joe. Wants to see my chauffeur. Wants to see my chauffeur. I want him to drive me. I want him to drive me downtown. Joe just let her go. Years went by. Langston Hughes wrote a poem about her. Hard and strong, he called her. Didn't mention a thing about Kansas Joe. On a stormy winter morning, ten souls gathered around a hole in the ground to bid Joe farewell. Big Bill stood there like he did on that night long ago at the musician's hall. That's a bad luck woman, said Big Bill to another mourner. Blows in like a breeze to cut my ass, but leaves us wondering by her old husband's grave. Stole the show again. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org. The verses and bars broke from the standardized forms of ragtime, carving out a new style and paving the way for the blues craze. And on election day, Crump won. 
For that matter, so did Handy. But just after Crump's election, Handy wasn't about to publish his song insulting the most powerful man in the city. The world outside Beale Street came to know the campaign tune Mr. Crump as Memphis Blues. The same song that inaugurated a half-century of Mr. Crump's domination also made Memphis synonymous with music, launching a legacy that outshined and outlasted even the boss. Memphis blues caught on in Chicago cabarets and Broadway musicals. Handy's tunes were favorites of iconic literary character Jay Gatsby and featured in motion pictures. Beale Street fueled Handy, and Handy would now fuel Beale Street. His story encouraged generation after generation of local talents, from Jimmy Luncifer to Willie Mitchell, Memphis Minnie to Carla Thomas. Memphis blues reshaped American music, its 12 bars laying the foundation of rock and roll, R&B, and soul. Just as 40 lengths of chain rang through a beautiful song, the blues is bittersweet. While W.C. Handy watches over Beale Street, Jim Turner sleeps in the ground someplace nobody knows. Handy is forever. Jim Turner come and gone. It moans just like a sinner on revival day. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.